Welcome to the Catapulting Commissions podcast. This is the place where we discuss how to maximize performance and improve retention with today's modern sales force. Every conversation on the show has one goal in mind, and that is to catapult your commission. I'm your host, Anthony Garcia, international best-selling author, motivational speaker, and a lifelong sales enthusiast. Be sure to join me every week as we interview sales leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world. We will discuss best practices and ensure that you leave motivated and inspired to take action. Now, let's enjoy today's episode. Catapulting Commissions family. What's up, team? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Catapulting Commissions podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Garcia. Today's guest, man, let me just say something about today's guest. Recently, I was traveling back from Hawaii on a United Airlines flight. AirPods died, didn't have technology, pulled up the magazine in the back, and I read an article, and I'm like, holy crap, that's Jerry Miner. He's going to be on my show soon. So let me tell you, Jerry Miner is the chairman of the seventh level, a global sales training company that was ranked the number 1,232 of the fastest growing companies in the United States by Inc. Magazine which lists the top 5,000 companies in 2021. Bottom line, he's the top 20%, top 10% in those growing companies. He's also a contributor for Inc. Magazine, has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and a host of other publications. I love what Jeremy says. The single most effective way to sell anything to anyone in 2022 is to be a problem finder and a problem solver, not a product pusher. Catapult to Commissions family, this is an episode you do not want to miss. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for uh, having me on. I'm going to take everything you just said as a compliment because my kids say I'm pretty boring. So it's always nice to hear a few nice things every once in a while. I love that. Hey, I'm I'm a fan of your show. Uh, I listened to a couple of episodes just recently. I love it, man. Your your people are lucky to have you. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'm glad to have you on. So, Jeremy, I got to ask you a question, man. You cut your teeth in direct sales. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, yeah. I, my first uh, sales job I got when I was, I think, almost 22. I was 21, 22. I was um, a college student, um, recently just got married, had a kid on the way, and I'm like, I have to make money. So I cut my teeth uh, very quickly and uh, you know, found out the hard way that selling wasn't what everybody told me it was. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm with you on that. I cut my teeth in direct sales and, and, uh, what was being taught wasn't organic or authentic to me. And definitely everybody evolves and learns their things. So you go, well, it, just doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah. Let's just, let's just, let's just cut to the chase. Like that type of stuff is what average salespeople do in our day and age. I did. I love it. <laughs> I love that you said it. And with somebody with your pedigree, man, I'm glad you said it. Cause when I say that every now and then you, and I, and I want to give credit to it. What worked 40, 50 years ago, I mean, these guys paved the way. They did some things that were new. But if you're still doing that today and you're paying someone to teach you that shit, I promise you guys it is not working. You definitely I mean, need buying, to- Yeah, buying behaviors have changed. I mean, with the power of the Internet, especially social media, we live in a completely different age. You know, it's, it's like, you know, people like somebody will, you know, post in our Facebook group. They're like, what's the best sales book out there? And somebody will say like, oh, the Dale Carnegie, like how to win friends and influence people. And I'm like. That's a really good book, but um, it's on here on the shelf somewhere. But the problem is, is it was written in 1936. We're in 2022. I'm assuming that buying behaviors have possibly changed 
in the past 85 years. And when we hear things like, oh, people buy from people they like. So when you get on calls, you need to ask them how their day's going or how is the weather or did you watch the game last night? That somehow we wonder why we don't make as many sales as we want to. Because in our day and age, people don't buy from people they like. They buy from people who they feel can get them the best result, period. It's only a bonus if they like you. You love grandma. You love your aunt. But if she's selling a product and you've got a, somebody over here that's a competitor, but that product's way better, you're not buying from grandma. You're buying from the person that's going to get you the best result, period. Right? Oh, man. Say it again for the people in the back. Holy crap. Dude, did I not bring an ace to the show today? So let's talk about that. There's sales professionals right now, Jeremy, salespreneurs, as I call them, salespeople that are entrepreneurs. They're trying to sell something. They listen to some shows. They hear some of these names. What are the biggest mistakes these folks are are going out trying to accomplish? They just heard you say right now, hey, we're going to sell. We're going to sell the best result possible, not because you like me. But what are the mistakes that you see salespeople make when they go out and are motivated to sell their own product, their own service, their own company? Well, I, th- I think, well, there's a lot of mistakes, but let's, let's start with one of the biggest ones that I see when we go into audit, audit companies and we, we listen to calls and those type of thing from, from different salespeople. One of the biggest mistakes that sales professionals, entrepreneurs, sales management and company make when they are trying to sell, they come across way too enthusiastic about what they're saying, and they try to talk about their solution right when they hear a problem. The prospect says, oh, I'm having this problem. Oh, well, let me tell you about this XYZ forklift we have. It's going to solve, and they go jump right into their solution. And when I say that at training events, people always say, oh, but Jeremy, I read this book that says that I've got to be excited, and I've got to show the prospect how excited about the product and service that I sell, and that if I'm excited, that it's going to cause them to be excited. And I, you know, I would agree to an extent you should be excited, but you have to keep that to yourself. You have to keep that internal. We have to get rid of the commission breath. Good Lord. Here's one thing we have to understand. It's just human psychology 101. Within the first seven to 12 seconds of any sales conversation you are in or any interaction you will ever be on, your prospects subconsciously, we can't even help it as a human being, are picking up on your social cues, right? So we're picking up on your verbal and your nonverbal cues based on your tonality, your body language, if they can see you, and what you are saying and asking that triggers their brain to react in one of two ways. It's a reaction. If you come across aggressive, if you come across needy, and especially if you come across attached, and you don't know the right questions to ask, it triggers the brain to what we call, to go into what we call fight or flight mode, right? We've all heard of it. Oh, fight or flight mode, but nobody knows what causes it, right? It's like, oh, you know, we've heard it. We don't know what triggers it. So that's where your prospects try to get rid of you very quickly, right? And they say things like, oh, uh, we're good, or I'm too busy, or, you know, we don't need it, or we already have somebody that does that for us, or how much is it going to cost? Or can you call me back in a week, a month, a year later? You know, how many of you listening have ever heard that, right? Now, once you learn how to work with human behavior in your sales process and you come across more neutral, more unbiased, you're not quite sure you can even help yet. 
Because how would you even know? You haven't even had a conversation. If you come across more calm, collective, and especially, I love the word detached. If you come across detached and you know the right questions to ask, it triggers their brain to become curious enough where they feel like they want to engage. They want to open up to you because they feel like you have something that could be important to them. So as you know, because I've heard you on the podcast, we have to come across to our prospects as more detached from that expectation of making the sale and instead focus on really whether or not there's even a sale there, whether or not they have problems that we can actually solve. Now, do I mean when you get on a call or in a conversation that your ultimate goal is not to make a sale? Well, hell no. Of course, your goal is to do that, right? Because if you don't make the sale, you can't solve their problems, right? But you have to keep that to yourself because the moment your prospects feel that you are just there to sell them is the moment they start to do what? They emotionally shut down. You with me? I'm with you. Crazy. I mean, man, you take the framework of selling and you bring it to a human connection that is often disassociated because we're we're taught right in those early yeah. stages this product excitement i mean i remember learning that and teaching that yeah. 20 years ago right my enthusiasm yeah. your enthusiasm and all that shit right and it's changed yeah so <laughs> let, let's talk this sales modalities right one of the questions yeah. that was recently asked to me is what is the best sales modality out there right and i'm sure you and i can go on a whole tangent on the different sales methodologies that exist but i'm curious on this because you have a unique methodology. It's called NEPQ. I know. Tell me about this. Yes, it stands for Neuroemotional Persuasion Questioning. It's, uh, it's just for my background in, uh, in uh, college. And my background, my, what I went to school was for behavioral science. Okay. Okay? I'm, I'm one of those boring nerds. So it's a study of the brain, right? So it's a study of the brain and how and why human beings make decisions and why a person is persuaded to go one way compared to doing something else. Like what triggers in our brain that triggers that, okay? And I think it's it's the best way to de- really describe this because there's a lot of different sales methodologies out there, but if, if you really dive into behavioral science, they're really classified in three forms of communication. I'll try to boil it down as easy as I can, okay? And if you're if you're listening or you're watching to us or watching us right now, you know, write these down because once you really understand the differences in persuasion and and where you are now, like in your sales ability, and I don't care if you even make 150 or 200 plus thousand a year, if you understand where you are right now compared to where you actually could be, it will, it will completely change everything for you, okay? So the first mode of communication uh, is called arrow, I would say arrow one, ERA, arrow one. That's more known as like, I'll try to give you an image, boiler room selling. Mm-hmm. Like when I say boiler room selling, what's the first image that comes into your mind? Like Vin Diesel on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Right. So we're the least persuasive when we tell people things or we attempt to dominate them or posture them, you know, manipulate them, push them into doing something we want them to do. Like you said, it's like it's like the movies we watch like, and they're entertaining, like boiler room selling, wolf on Wall Street. I mean, at least that's how they portray, uh, you know, Leonardo, I think, which is uh, yeah. the actor for for Jordan Belfort, right? That's how he's portrayed. I don't know how accurate that is, but you know, Hey, I've got a great opportunity for you. And then we talk about the features and benefits of what they do. And then we push them and tell them why they need to buy them, why they should go with us. And it's just like, if you tell your spouse that they really, really need to do something for you, and then you push and push and push them, what do they typically do back? They resist. 
You push, people push back. Yeah. It's just human behavior 101, right? So I'll give you a few examples uh, of the least persuasive way to sell. And when I say these sometimes at events, people are like, what? No, it can't be true. Presenting. What? What are you talking about, Jeremy? So we've all been taught we have to have a magical presentation. We have to have the slide deck that's like an hour and a half to two hours long. And we have to show them our corporate office and our, our customer service awards and our triple A rating with the Better Business Bureau. And we've got the best this and we've got the best that, which, by the way, doesn't every single salesperson and company that you've that's ever sold something to you say they have the best product or service? Yeah. How many salespeople do you know that try to sell you something that say, yep, you know, our product's fifth best in the market? No one, right? Everybody says they're the best. So when you say things like that, psychologically, just so you're aware, your prospects actually trust you less. And especially if you talk down about your competitors, because they're used to every salesperson's ever try to sell them something saying the exact same thing. So according to the data, it's not very persuasive if your presentation is more than 10% of your entire sales process. You know what it is for the average salesperson? 50%. We've got to lower that down to 10% and emotionally connect the dots, okay? Telling your story. Hate to tell you this. Nobody cares about your story when you're selling one-to-one. Whose story do they most care about? Their own. Their story right? They care about their story. What about giving a sales pitch, right? Uh, we've all been told you've got to give a great pitch. According to science, not very persuasive. You ever watch uh, Shark Tank? Uh, yeah, all the time. Yeah, with CNBC. So uh, in an experiment, I, I want everybody to do on here. So when the entrepreneurs come in there and they're all excited, they're all gung-ho and they're just coming out for the pitch. I want you to watch the body language of the sharks. Watch their facial expressions. Watch Mark Cuban, watch Barbara, Mr. Wonderful, Kevin, um, Oh, Damon, John, I know they rotate them in, but watch their body language and how they're like, what's going on, all right? What about putting sales pressure on people? Or the big one, assuming the sale. According to the data, very low on the persuasion poll. Hence, that's where I really believe that's where the term sales is a numbers game comes from because you're causing it to be a numbers game by the way you're communicating that's causing most of your prospects to run the other way. Especially as you know, you're in a more complex sound environment that requires multiple calls and touches. So that's the first mode. That's a lot. Now the second mode, I'll break it down. Second mode of communication, era two, is more known, I would say it's called consultative selling. I'll try to break it down so everybody can recognize it. That's a different scientific term, but let's call it consultative selling, okay? So we're the more, most per, more persuasive when we attempt to have like a discussion, okay, or even like a debate, okay, and it came out, I'd say consultative selling, it came out a little bit before this, but I think it really hit the market big in the 1980s with spin selling, right, with the the professor, you, I'm assuming you've read that yep. book, right? 100%. Okay. Uh, uh, Neil Rackham, right, the professor that did all the, the studies and everything, and he taught that you needed to ask logical-based questions about the needs of the client. But what is the potential downfall of this approach when you only know how to ask logical-based questions? We call those surface-level questions. Well, your prospect's only going to give you logical-based answers in return. And do people buy on emotion or logic? Emotion. Emotion. Yeah, as you know, emotion 100% of the time. Brain studies prove that. So I'll give you a few examples of consultative questions that trigger a lot of sales resistance. Never use these if you want to be a top person in 2022, right? These are so old school. They make like your spine crawl when you hear them. Um, so uh, Sally, uh, tell me, uh, what's keeping you awake at night? 
<laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, can you tell me two problems that you're having the most? Uh, who besides you would be involved in the decision? Okay. So instead of saying that, you would just reword it. You make it more human and you make it more where they want to open. You would say, if you're trying to get other decision makers on board, if you're in a B2B sell environment, you might say, can you walk me through your company's decision-making process when it comes to solving problems like this? See, that's more human, not who besides you is involved in the decision? Because most people are not going to tell you. But if I ask them to walk me through their company's decision-making process, and I equate that back to when it comes to solving problems like this, they do what? They start to walk you through. Well, I need to get a hold of Sally in HR, and then she's going to have to get a hold of Jim. And now you're like, bing, bing, bing. And you're like, okay, I've got to get all these other people here so I can control the flow of this to make sure this deal actually happens. Okay. Now, on here, if you've asked yourself who on here listening has ever been taught any of those questions or what sort of budget have you set aside this within the first two minutes of a call? Never ask that. It's horrible, okay? Unless they give you signs like they're homeless or something if you're selling B2C. Now, that's the second mode, okay? So it's more persuasive than the first mode of like boiler room selling, telling your story, putting sales pressure on them, assuming the sale, but you're still having to play the numbers game because very little emotion is brought out, as you know, Anthony, by simply asking logical-based questions, surface-level questions, because mm -hmm. they never go below the surface, okay? Now, the third, and you're going to get a lot of, well, we need to look into this or get more quotes or we really need to think this over and we'll get back to you. That triggers that, okay? Third mode of communication, which I would call it, it's, there's a scientific term, but let's call it dialogue. So error three is dialogue, all right? So we're the most persuasive when we allow others to persuade themselves, okay? When we ask, and that's where we, you were asking me, mm -hmm. what are called neuroemotional persuasion questioning. That stands for NPQ. Now, the key here is what are those questions? We have to use certain questions and techniques that work with human behavior that trigger the prospect to pull us in rather than us trying to push them forward, right? And, and that's what the, the question everybody was asking me is like, okay, well, how do I get somebody to persuade themselves? You know, like, can you just go out and say, hey, you know, uh, John, go ahead and persuade yourself and our company will send you the bank wire details and just send the funds right on through after you've persuaded yourself. No, you've got to learn, right, a step-by-step -step structure, a sales process that gets a specific questions and the delivery of those questions that get the prospect to want to engage, to want to open up to you that will get them to sell themselves. That's the three modes. Do I sound crazy? No. Holy, what you sound like, Jeremy, and what you're doing, and, and I will say this, and this is a true compliment. I've studied numerous, I used to say I would study all sales methodologies, and then I, I realized it's, it's like being a mathematician now. They've evolved, they've grown, there's always new things. So I've studied sure. a lot. Yeah, And as I said before we went on air, right, I've, I've kind of looked at some of your work, followed it. Oh, oh. You, you are taking how humans naturally think, respond, react, because eliminate those from a sales question. That's a conversation yeah. I have with my wife. Like, yeah. if I want my wife to have a conversation with me, 100%, I don't know if this ever happens to you, Jeremy. If I ever talk to my wife in a manner of like, I'm on a podcast or I'm on a keynote or I'm presenting, I mean, she... If there was a, a knife nearby, she'd stab me. She's like, dude, do not talk to me in sales mode, Anthony. Talk to me in human, Anthony. And I'm, yeah. what you're doing is you're taking sales and you're yeah. teaching it in questions that align with human connection and not against it, not, yeah, we're, not we're, challenging we're human, it. 
we're humanizing the sales process. And because we're humanizing the sales process, it's not like you're out winging it, just like, how are you doing today? How's the weather? Like, that's not what we mean. Mm -hmm. It is a very skilled conversation. It's the right questions at the right time, step-by-step that psychologically triggers that prospect's brain to want to pull you in and take what you're offering them to get them where they want to go. That's really what it is. You know, the two people that, you know, people always ask me like, where did you develop this from? Where did you get it from? Well, a lot of trial and error, but I really studied two people. Like when I was writing out my thesis and all this stuff in school and like when I was studying like, like a freaking mad dog, the two people that I started developing this process around because I was trying all the guru stuff, you know, and some of it would work. I'd make a few sales here and there, but I also noticed when I would say certain things that this guy said, I'm like, oh, that triggered them to respond this way. Like, that's not good. I need to eliminate that word. Like that doesn't work. And I'm just like, this works, that works. And so what I did is I took that behavioral science theory because maybe, maybe there just was, but I didn't know, but there was really no course out there that I saw because I, I bought, I'd say hundreds of courses, man. I was like one of those seminar junkies every weekend. I was at a sales seminar from like the age of 21 to probably 25. It was like my whole life was consumed by just breaking this, this thing called sales. Like, how could I figure this out? But the two people that I really developed NPQ around were Socrates. Mm -hmm. Once I studied him and Christ himself, because if you really read Socrates writings and his works and you, and you really read what we have from Christ, which is not a lot, what you're going to find if you boil it down to this is you're going to find that what they did to their followers, you can call them prospects, whatever you want to say, what they did is they asked easy to answer questions that allowed their people that were listening to them, their followers or prospects, whatever you want to say, to question their way of thinking that allowed their problems to keep happening which triggered them to become very open to what they were suggesting. In a nutshell, that's what it is. Man, it's, it is so refined, thought-provoking. And I like what you said, right? We're not just winging it. This is a skill. And, and, and Catapult Commission's family, you heard Jeremy say it. You've heard me talk about it. Sales is truly, it's a skill. We study, we practice, we, we implement, we execute. And I, like you, spent 20 years trial and error, and, and I, I've messed up. I've messed up 20 years in a row, but somehow or another, I seem to keep getting a step ahead. But I like, but it's because we commit to this studying and let's talk about this studying. So I go in, I execute these questions. Where, let's just go traditional sales methodology. Where does the objections, where do I handle them? Do they still come up? Because now we're having like a natural conversation and you know, I don't want to, I don't want to share with you my thoughts on this and, and they may be aligned, but how does the catapultic commissions family handle objections in the NEPQ uh, format of like, let's ask these questions. Are, are we still getting objections? Are we addressing them? What's well, I think a, a lot of, uh, once you, so what we also teach are, are what are called status frames and authority frames and different NEPQ uh, things like that. We're basically, we're eliminating a lot of the objections that we know we're going to get by certain things we're saying and asking that triggers them not to go there. Because mm. most objections are actually triggered by what we say, okay? And I just want to, I want to hear everybody hear that again. It's not your prospect. It's what you are saying most of the time or not asking that's triggering their brain to have uncertainty with what you are promising them. And when they have uncertainty, fear takes over and sometimes objections come out. I always have salespeople like, oh my gosh, Jeremy, you know, uh, 
all these leads, they're sucked. They just have fear. Well, no shit, Sherlock. It's your job as a sales professional to help them overcome that fear. That's why you get paid a lot of money, right? So a lot of objections can be just prevented by saying, and I'll give you, let me give you an example of this. Um, I, I was teaching this to a, a company the other day. Um, there's certain words you can say that are triggering that. So let's say if, if you say, hey, go ahead and sign the contract here. Like, I need you to sign the contract. Well, sign and contract are two words that typically in the English language trigger a lot of sales resistance because no one wants to sign a contract that locks them into something they might not want. But if I just change that to go ahead and authorize the agreement, it means the same damn thing, but it's so much more neutral. Everyone that's okay with authorizing agreement to get what they want, right? And I think, I, you, know, you know who I think does the best job at this? I think it's the government's. <laughs> the, okay, so I went, uh, let me give you an example. I'm like, who did they hire to come up with this stuff with them? Like, take a look at the IRS. It stands for Internal Revenue Service here in the United States. Now, if it was called the Internal Taxing Service, which it is, it means the same thing, we'd all be up in arms. But the term revenue is far more neutral than the word tax, Right. So if we hear certain things in that conversation that are signs to you that they're possibly going to give you an objection at the end of that conversation or on the next step, we want to make sure that we ask questions around that to get them to overcome it before we're going to get that objection at the end. Does that make sense? Like we can pre-handle the objection if we hear certain words. Like in your sales, like what did you sell before you started your own company? Oh, man, I have I have sold. I have started in Cutco Cutlery. I worked in payroll services, and then I worked in surgical sales, where it was like a complex medical device. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, what was an objection that, like, it's, like if somebody said a certain word, like when you were talking to, let's say, were you mainly selling to doctors or like to the administrators? Doctors, okay. physicians. Okay. So, let's say that you're talking to the doctors. Were there certain things that they would maybe say when you were talking to them? You're like, oh, I know what they're thinking. They're going to give me that objection. Absolutely, hundred percent. Give me an example. So um, we would have a product that was designed to be implanted in the body. And if a patient was, without going into too much specifics, a patient was morbidly obese, had a lot of complications, any discussion around obesity, previous history, any complication or any, um, yeah, I guess anything that would cause a complication, obesity, smoker, COPD, if there was a question about that, I knew instantly they would push back and say, I'm not comfortable with putting this in a patient that has a high risk of infection down the road. I just, I knew that that was any phrase in that line of question. That was the objection. Okay. So they would start to say something. So what I would typically, if I heard like a doctor start to like, start to be like, is this, this, yeah. I would stop it and be like, you seemed a bit hesitant when I brought X, Y, Z up. Mm. Can I ask what's behind that? Mm. And they're like, well, I have this concern. And the concern comes out instead of at the very end, they come back and like, this looks really good, but I need to think it over and we'll get back to you if I'm interested, which is not an objection. It's not like people sit there and think about it for weeks on end. That's not an objection. They just said that that's like a smoke screen. Mm -hmm. So I want to find out the real objection. So if I hear any words like that, I just stop. I would stop the conversation. And there's different word tracks you can use, but this is one of them. You stop and say, you seemed a bit hesitant when I said X, Y, Z. Can I ask what's behind that? And they're like, well, I just have this concern that 
and the real concern comes out and it's on the table. And then you clarify that concern so you know exactly what they're, where they're coming from and what's behind it. Then you discuss it like two people working together, collaborating, and then you ask diffusing questions to help them overcome it. Makes sense? Makes complete sense. And as you're saying that, I look at some of the most successful sales that I had. And yeah. sometimes that information was volunteered, right? I wish I would, you know, trial and error, you learn how to get that information, but you're absolutely right yeah. because it's a, you know, let's, let's bring it out up front so you don't hit me with this at the end. And I love how you said, right, thinking about it is not an objection. Most of the time, they don't tell you what the real objection is at the end. They just don't, right? They just say, I want to think it over. We need to really keep looking around. Like, now's not a good time for us. Those are just things that they say. There's something in their mind that's caused uncertainty, and that's triggered them to say that. And now you don't know the real concern. And so now it's like you're, you're taking a bucket of mud like throwing it against the wall with some rebuttal you've been rehearsed to say, hoping and praying that somehow that's going to magically cause them to, to buy, which it will a few people. But you're missing all the other people that are on the fence, right? There's like 10% that are going to buy no matter what. Those are the laydowns. There's 10%. There's no way they can get the funding. But the other 80% are on the freaking fence. And your sales ability, your question ability will determine if they go to your side of the fence or if they go to the other side of the fence. And that's where your sales ability and your skill level comes in. Mm. Uh, that affects your income big time. Uh, 100%. I mean, sales professionals, you have a high income opportunity. Whether you have a high income skill or not just depends on how much hours you've put into to studying and per perfecting. And I don't even say perfecting, practicing your craft. So we have a few minutes here left, Jeremy. I want to hear your thoughts on something. So yeah, I constantly hear... <laughs> ABC, hardcore oh, closing, close yeah. hard. Like it just this, this mantra that somehow or another still exists in circles where we're just going to be these hyper aggressive people that generate revenue, that close sales and make money and fancy watches and all you, you pick it, you name it. And it all stems back to the ABC from, I mean, I can't remember the name of the movie. Oh, like Glenn Gary, yeah. Glenn, Glenn Ross, yeah, like, movie. you know, sit down, coffee's for closers. That, that show's funny. Yes. <laughs> I mean, is there still, is that a still relevant technique today? I mean, is that going to be relevant five years from now? I mean, I feel like our consumers, our buyers are smarter than ever before and that shit gets old, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, they are. And that's given salespeople a really bad name. That's why that, that, that type of thinking that selling is adversarial. Mm. It's you against the prospect, trying to manipulate them, trying to win them over so you can make money has caused society to look at salespeople as like little crickets or roaches that they want to get away from them. That has caused that way of thinking. If you, that's what average salespeople do. I'm not, I'm not kidding when I say this. Average salespeople in our day and age think that way. Average salespeople. Top sales professionals that make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year or more do not think that way. The way they think is selling is collaborative. It's you working with the prospect to help them find and solve problems that maybe they didn't know they had, okay? Great selling is collaboration. And I think closing is one of the, the most misunderstood things ever about selling. Because here's the deal. The sale is not won or lost. At the end, when you ask a cheesy closing question like, do you want the red one or the green one? 
option close? Or who do you want the contract's name in, yours or your spouse's assumptive close? It's not like they decide right then and there they're buying. Or why don't you give it a try, the invitational close? The sale is won or lost during what we call the discovery part of the sales process. It's won or lost with your questioning ability on your calls that allows your prospects to view in their mind that it's far more risky for them to do nothing at all, stay in the status quo, and their problems stay the same and nothing ever changes than it is for them to get the money or the budget or the funding to purchase your solution, solve their problems, and get where they want to be, which is more risky. So the sale is never won or lost with some cheesy closing technique at the end. So what, you know, we want to ask what are called commitment questions. Okay. I don't like the word closing. I think it demeans a human being. Like if you're in Best Buy and you overheard a salesperson, like, I just closed that guy on a big screen, flat TV. You'd be like, close me. Like, it's just a weird term. (laughs) So we want to ask what are called commitment questions that get them to commit and take the next step. Now, let's say if you're in a, a business to consumer type of sales role, and let's say you sell like on a one call close or two call close. You're going to ask commitment questions that lead them to actually buy right there on the spot. Let's say you're in more of a business-to-business, complex sound environment. Commitment questions from the first call discovery, where you're on with maybe one C-level executive, might be a smaller commitment to then schedule a demo, right, with other decision makers. Then after that demo, it's another smaller commitment question to then schedule a proposal with other decision makers that lead to the ultimate commitment of purchasing what you're offering. So. A good commitment question I might be at the end of any of those examples. I might say, do you, um, do you feel like this could be the answer for you? Do you feel like this could be the answer for you? And I pause there. You don't want to say, do you feel like this could be the answer for you? You want to practice verbal pausing. Okay? Do you feel like this could be the answer for you? Now, that causes them to think deeper when you, when you slow down your question. Okay. Now, most of the time, if you've done... If you've done the engagement process the right way, you've asked the right questions at the right time, which everybody can learn. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, people are going to be like, yeah, I do. Or they're going to say, I do, but, and they're going to tell you what the real concern is, which is what I want, okay, when I was in my sales career. So let's say, yeah, yeah, I, I do, but we don't have the money. Well, money aside, why do you feel like it would, though? And I'm asking an NEPQ probing question. Well, I feel like it would be this and because of that and because of this. Now, I know I have to resolve that concern. Then I might come back. I resolve that money concern. And then I come back and ask another commitment question. Do you feel like this is something you can do to really get you where you're wanting to go? Now, that's a generic version. You're going to make it industry specific, which, you know, you can learn how to do that. And those type of commitment questions lead them to the next step. Now, let's say I'm, I'm on a discovery call and I want to schedule a second call demo. Let's say I'm selling B2B. I might say, hey, good first call. You know, this really gives us a better understanding of kind of what's going on. Uh, Really, the next step would be, if it's appropriate, is we would schedule a demo with blah, 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 blah. Would that help you? That is a smaller commitment question, okay? That gets them to take a smaller commitment to move to the next step. You with me? I am. Man. That's the boring stuff. No, no, it's not. That is the stuff the Catapult Commission's family needs to hear, right? The ABC is bullshit. The the gaining the commitment throughout the process, verbal pauses, holy crap, catapult commissions family. If you do not say this episode, go back and listen to it again. I can't, I can't show up and make the sale for you. I mean, you got to take the, you got to take the food where it's coming at you. Well, and we, we teach salespeople. We, we tell them, Hey, get away from the ABCs of closing. Let's focus on the ABDs, ABDs of selling. That stands for always be disarming. So from the moment you, a first word comes out of your mouth, 
throughout that sales process, to the middle part of that sales process, to the end of that sales process, to they were sending the funding in and it hits the bank account and they have authorized the agreement and everything's rolled out. You were always asking the right questions that continually disarms them where they keep wanting to engage and open up to you. And once you learn the ABDs of selling, you make a ton of money and selling becomes a lot of fun. There you go. I love it. I love it. Well, Catapult to Commissions family, Jeremy Miner today. Jeremy, how does the Catapult to Commissions family find you? Uh, learn about you. I got some links here I'd love to share, but uh, social media, all yeah. that kind of stuff. How do they get it to you? Yeah, let's let's do this because I, you know, do a lot of these podcasts, which I'm sure you do. And like everybody's like, oh, should I go to IG or LinkedIn or Facebook? What's going on? So we send everybody to one place. So if they want to, and, and I know we didn't have a, t- a lot of time to go through like tactical questions that they should use, but if they want a list of a, of a bunch of different tactical questions they can use for any, really any sales situation they're going to find themselves over like this week, next month, next year, um, they can go to our private Facebook group. Uh, it's called, it, yeah, it's www.salesrevolution.pro. So go to salesrevolution.pro. Uh, Anthony, if you've got that link mm-hmm. and right when they join, uh, somebody on my team will message them. So make sure you guys check your Facebook messenger, check your messages on Facebook. They'll message you a free training by the CEO of my company named Matt Ryder. And it's called the, the NEPQ 101 mini course. And it's just a list of those questions. We didn't have time to go through many uh, that you guys can use for different sales situations that you're in. And you're welcome to start using those so you can make more money. And we go live in the Facebook group three or four times a week as well, Anthony, with different trainings and Q&As. So they're welcome to join that if they want to learn how to sell more. I love it. Salesrevolution.pro, Catapult Commission's family. You will find the link to that in the show notes if you're listening to the audio version click your show notes if you're watching the youtube video or you're watching this on linkedin it'll all be listed below do me a favor guys go get connected get connected with jeremy get connected with the seventh um i was gonna call you the seventh wonder i'm terribly sorry the seventh level and let's up level this game because one thing jeremy did say and i stand behind it right that whole bullshit of abcs it makes us who love sales teach sales live sales look bad because there is a ethical thoughtful way to do it jeremy's built an incredibly successful company doing so jeremy thank you for joining the show my friend anthony you're a true professional i really enjoyed being on your show you know there's some shows that i'm on where i'm like this trainer has no idea what he's talking about but you my friend do so these guys are really these guys and gals are lucky to be listeners of your show well done i appreciate you know what you know what's going on in the sales world some people are still stuck from like 50 years ago. I'm like, whoa, no bueno. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, man. And coming from you, I take that as a huge compliment. Catapult Commissions family, you know what to do. Like, subscribe, comment, and I will see you next week. Catapulting Commission's family, that does it for today's episode. If you found some value, please be sure to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe. That way you're notified of new episodes. If you want to see the video portion of this podcast, head over to YouTube and look up Catapulting Commission's podcast. Finally, if you want a free copy of Catapulting Commission's, be sure to text the word HELLO to 661-228-8967. 
Again, text the word HELLO to 661-228-8967. Thanks for listening to the show. I'll see you next week.